Luke chapter 1 this morning. As we continue to look at the birth of John the Baptist being announced, uh, really part two for us, uh, because we have covered verses 5, 6, and 7 already, and this morning we'll begin um, in verse 8 and go through the rest of the passage dealing with the announcement of John's birth. And if you remember a few weeks ago when we started this passage, I began by telling you that although we're reading of John the Baptist being born, the story is really about God. It's all God's doing. Everything in here, in what we're reading this morning, and what we're looking at, is dealing with God's activity and God's sovereignty over this couple and this situation. We see that God chooses people. God's, God chooses the time. God chooses the circumstances. God chooses the location. He chooses the situation. God is the one who sends a messenger. God performs a miracle. And God provides a voice. One who's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And so, as we come to this passage, we want to behold God. Isn't that right? As we open the Scriptures and as we study this passage and read about what He's doing in the lives of this couple and what He's doing in the nation of Israel and what He's doing in the history of the Gospel and the history of redemption, we desperately want to see God. We want to know Him. We want to learn about Him. We want to see His heart, see His character, see how He interacts with people. And so that's my prayer that again, we may look into the Scriptures this morning and see the sovereignty of God over all things in life. Isn't, isn't that why we gather together? Isn't that why we open the Scriptures in the first place? That we could behold God. And so for me, this is an exciting time this morning because we actually get to open the pages of Scripture and we get to ask the question, what do we learn about God? I you to try to wrap your minds and hearts around that, that you can at any time open these pages and know something of the Almighty Creator. And so that's the question we're going to ask this morning. What do we learn of God? That's the question we're going to examine and I hope that's the question we are going to answer, and I hope, as it is for me, that it will be for you an exciting time to behold God before us in the Bible. Now, if you remember in verses 5, 6, and 7, we started this passage by highlighting that God chooses His servants. God chooses people. He picked out Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are set apart in their service to God. They are uh, Zechariah is a priest. They're a priestly family, so they're set apart in their service to him. They're also both labeled as righteous and blameless before God. That they're sincerely and genuinely pursuing after God, yet they are burdened, uh, burdened with barrenness, right? They have no children. They're childless. And Luke tells us they're advanced in age, advanced in years, so that there's really no hope biologically for them to have children. And it is Precisely that reason that God chooses them out. For two reasons that we highlighted. One, because this shows us quite clearly that just because you are faithful to God in service, just because you're righteous and blameless before the Lord doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect or easy. Contrary to the teachings that are out there today, this does not mean that you'll have a healthy, wealthy, prosperous life. It means you still live in the difficulties of a corrupted, complex, and sinful world. But also, God chose this couple out, this barren couple, to prove that what He's going to do in their lives 
is something only He can do. That when they have a child, only God can get credit for it. So what we saw as we looked in the beginning of this passage is that God chooses people for their good and for His glory. For their good that He can meet a real human need in their life that they would have a child for His glory because that child only comes from Him. Well, this morning we're going to continue trying to get through the rest of this passage looking at different things that God does for His servants. Actually, four things that I want to highlight out of the passage this morning. We're going to look at the fact that God prepares His servants. God blesses His servants. God disciplines His servants. And God fulfills His promises. So look with me here in Luke chapter 1. And let's start in verse 8. Luke writes about Zechariah and he says, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were outside praying at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Skip down to verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The first thing we see in this passage is in verses 8, 9, and 10. And we see that God prepares his servants. God prepares His servants. And there's two specific things that we want to note about God calling Zechariah to this special kind of service of being the father to the forerunner of the Messiah. They are that Zechariah is serving as priest and that he's serving as priest in the temple holy place. Both of those circumstances prepare Zechariah for his special calling. So in verse 8, the first thing we see about God and how He prepares His servants is that He uses our current service to Him to prepare us for greater 
service to him. So in verse 8 there, Zechariah is serving as priest before God while his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood. This is really the pinnacle of Zechariah's priestly service. This moment, this day, what he's doing here at the temple is the most important day of his ministry. It is the highlight of all of his service. And Luke's matter-of-fact wording and straight-to-the-point approach really doesn't convey to us the thrill and the excitement that Zechariah is feeling and experiencing in this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Because Zechariah is getting to do something that is really extremely rare for a priest to do. Not a lot of priests get to do what Zechariah is getting to do on this day that the angel appears to him. And all priests in Israel would have regarded burning incense in the temple as a great, great privilege. Zechariah here has the opportunity to serve the people of God in the presence of God. And we learn, according to Luke here in verse 9, that Zechariah was chosen by lot to do so. This is a glaring clue in our face, isn't it? That God's providential hand is involved here in Zechariah's life. That God has providence over the whole situation. Now there were more priests in Israel than there were sacred duties for them to do. That's why they would cast lots to see who could do what. The lots determined where they got to serve. And priests did not serve in the temple every day. In fact, priests only served in the temple two weeks out of every year. Outside of some of the major feasts like Passover. So Zechariah has a rare chance to serve in the temple. One of his two weeks out of the year, and he still has to be chosen by lot to enter the temple and burn incense. Most priests would wait their whole lifetime to be chosen by lot to enter the temple and burn incense, and most would never have the opportunity to do so. Because Israel had so many priests, upwards of 24,000 priests that were always available on duty, most, the vast majority, would never get to enter the, enter the temple and never get to burn incense. And if they ever did, they never got to do it again. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. Once-in-a-lifetime privilege. He'll never get to experience it again, and he's been waiting most of his life to experience it in the first place. By this time, Zechariah probably had wondered how he displeased God. What have I done that I've never been chosen by lot to enter the temple? I've, I've tried to be faithful. I've tried to be righteous. I've tried to be blameless. I've, I must have offended or displeased God in some form or fashion. But we know on this side of the story, God has sovereignly been waiting. Sovereignly ordained that Zechariah would not get a chance to enter the temple until the time was right the time for John to be born until the time for the Messiah to come to Israel. So what we learn here is that God had lined everything up for Zechariah. God had lined up the time of the year for his division to be on duty. God had lined up that Zechariah would be chosen by lot to enter the temple and serve 
And God had chosen that this would be the day, the pinnacle of His career, the most important day of His service. On that day, I'll reveal to Him my plan, my mission for Him and His wife. You see, Zachariah had been prepared by God through his current service for a much greater service. God had prepared Zechariah's heart to be excited, to be passionate, to be thrilled, to be ready to go, and eager to serve God and do what was right. And it's on that day, God decides to reveal to him, I've got something more in store for you. But God doesn't just use our current service to prepare us for greater service. God even uses our locations to prepare us for greater service to Him. The place where the incense was burned was called the Temple Holy Place. It's also called the Court of Israel. It was a very sacred and important place in the temple. There are only three pieces of furniture in the Holy Place. The golden lampstand, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense, where Zechariah would have been performing his duties. The altar of incense is located right in front of the curtain that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. We know that curtain that was torn from top to bottom when Christ died on the cross. And we know the holy place, don't we, in the temple? Where God's glory dwelt, God's presence was to be known. That's where Zechariah is serving. That's where Zechariah is getting to burn incense, right in front of the Holy of Holies. And because of this, priests would normally perform their duties as quickly as they possibly could because the fear of ministering so close to the presence of God. Priests were normally afraid that they might do something even something seemingly trivial, to blaspheme God or displease God or offend God. And in Israel, as a priest in the temple, displeasing God would often mean the end of your life. They had a high reverence for God. And so in God's providence, He waits until Zechariah is in the middle of his duties, in the middle of the temple, when Zechariah is most alert, most cautious, most reverent, that it is then that he's going to send an angel to give him his task. Here, in his duties, while Zechariah is ministering in fear, in reverent fear before the Holy of Holies, God would find Zechariah's heart in the most humble of ways. And it is here that God would reveal his mission for Zechariah in the most unforgettable of ways. All of these years of faithfulness, all these years of righteousness, all these years of service, they all culminate on this day for Zechariah. But not as he thought, not in burning incense, but in the plan of God being revealed to him through an angel. God had been preparing Zechariah for his new service. I'm going to wait till you're at the pinnacle of your career. Your heart's the most excited. Your heart's the most passionate. I'm going to wait right until you're in the middle of your duties, in the middle of the temple, when you're most reverent, most humble before me, most alert, most cautious. And there, I'm going to call you to something greater. 
There, I'm going to call you to a task that's greater than burning incense. There, I'm going to call you to be the father of the last Old Testament prophet to prepare the way of Jesus himself. God has been preparing Zechariah, readying him to be the father of the forerunner. He's instilled within him faithfulness, hasn't he? Years, decades of faithful service. Faithfulness to God. He's instilled within him, by this point, humility from his burdens. To not have a child in Israel. To be a priest and not have a child. The whole world would have thought something's wrong with you. You're not good enough. Zechariah and Elizabeth would have lived in humility before God. Before their nation. God has prepared him by blessing him with this service as priest. And by revealing to him his plan for him to have a child. God prepared Zechariah for his greatest service yet. And here's the lesson for you and I. God still does the same for us today. God is readying us and preparing us, you and I, as Christians, for service to Him. Is He not? Doesn't God give us the Holy Spirit to enable us to do ministry? Gives us of Himself to dwell within us, to prepare us to serve Him as He's called us to serve Him? Doesn't God, when He gives us the Holy Spirit, give us spiritual gifts for the building up of the body, the building up of the church? He most certainly does. Because we are all to serve God. God prepares us all for what He calls us to. That's true of every Christian. And here's what you need to learn. Every believer has some place of service that God has called them to and gifted them for. Every Christian has some place of service that God has called them to and gifted them for. That is evidence of your salvation. That is fruit that is produced from a heart that longs and desires to serve and please God that you are gifted and called to and fulfilling that calling and that gifting and service. In fact, if you are not serving God, you are missing out on the greatest blessing of walking with Him. You're not enjoying what it means to belong to Him at its fullest. And so I ask the natural question this morning, I ask it directly to the church, where is your place of service to the Lord? You need to answer that question. Because if God calls Christians to service and if He gives them, gives them gifts for service, you need a place of service. Where is your service to the Lord? How are you serving God? How is the Holy Spirit enabling you for ministry? How are you using the gifts that God's given you to build up the body? Because there's no such thing in Christianity as showing up and sitting down and doing nothing, is there? All throughout the New Testament, God calls us. It's the admonition of the Lord. Have an active faith. Join in the service of the Lord. Glorify God by using the gifts that He's given you to use. God also uses our circumstances in life to prepare us for service to Him, just like He did Zachariah and Elizabeth, right? So many people wonder 
why they go through difficulty in this life. Why is darkness always seeming to lay over me, not realizing the whole time that the Lord is increasing their faith and preparing them for something greater through difficulty? Charles Spurgeon said, To trust God in the light is nothing. Trust Him in the darkness. That is faith. Darkness always comes over our lives to increase our faith. Grow us in our faith. Mature us in our faith. And in turn, for us to help others mature in faith. Church, that's discipleship. God preparing us to help one another grow in faith in Christ. And on a side note, let me share something with you from my heart. We do a poor job at discipleship. We do a very great job at getting people on board with the programs of the church. We do a horrible job at making disciples of Christ. Evidenced by people that we have seen in the last week who said, yeah, I was faithful to Trinity when I was in college. I was faithful to the church. I volunteered at the church. And then the question that is so telling, where do you go to church now? I haven't gone to church in years. That's not good disciples. God grows us in our faith. God prepares us in our faith that we can make disciples of one another, that we can help each other grow in our faith, that we can serve God by building up this body to be true followers of Christ. God uses our circumstances in life to do that. So let me ask you a question. Is God preparing you for service? Let me answer the question for you. Yeah, He is. Now let me ask a question only you can answer. How is He preparing you for service? And what service is He preparing you for? Some of you know the, the difficulties of each other. You know the difficulties in your own life. And you know God is using that in your heart that you may minister to others. Some of you know that God has gifted you in certain ways and you are yearning to use them and you need to use those gifts. And some of you have no idea how God has gifted you. But you're still called to service. God prepares His servants for service. The second thing we see in this passage this morning, it starts in verse 11, uh, 12, 13, and 14 here. God prepares His servants. God also blesses His servants. The angel appears here to Zechariah and he, he appears to him in a real and a tangible way. Luke gives an actual location. He appears on the right side of the altar to indicate reality, that he's actually there. This, this isn't a vision. This is reality. And he appears on the right side of the altar to indicate authority. And this naturally brings fear to Zechariah. And that fear is somewhat understandable, isn't it? One, because every time a person in Scripture is faced with a heavenly creature, they're quickly confronted with their own weaknesses, their own inability to do things, their lack of purity, their own lack of holiness. But two, Zechariah serving that close to the Holy of Holies probably thought he had blasphemed God and his life was over. And here's the angel to take his life. So he's crippled with fear. But we know the exact opposite is true. Instead of being afraid for his life ending, Zechariah could rejoice that he has a new mission and a new purpose in life. God has prepared him for something greater. God has blessed him 
with a child. And we see this blessing of God upon His servants in three ways in this passage. First, you see what the angel says uh, there in verse 13. God blesses His servants by answering prayer. Blessed by answer to prayer. And that is seen in two ways in the passage. First, it's seen in Zechariah and Elizabeth having their own personal prayers answered. Because you can believe it, they have prayed often for a child. For decades, they've petitioned God for a child. These two righteous individuals prayed often that God would remove their reproach and bless them with a child. And finally, in their old age, we see that God answers them. He answers them in an unexpected way and at an unexpected time. But also, we see answered prayer in what Zechariah would have been praying. It was custom for the priests that while they burn incense, they are to be praying for the nation of Israel. That's why in verse 10, the people are outside praying with Zechariah. And that priest would pray for the people of Israel, for the blessing of Israel, and for the redemption of Israel. And all of a sudden, as he's praying and as he's burning incense, here stands an angel who says, your prayer's been heard. Your personal prayer's been heard. You're going to have a child, but your prayer for the redemption of Israel has been heard. And there's coming one who will take away the sins of the people. Israel was about to receive her redemption through Christ, the Son of God. And John is the forerunner to that process. So your prayer has been heard, Zechariah, not only in bringing you a son, but in preparing Israel for her redemption through a special son. And the fact that God would answer prayer shows us a few things about God, doesn't it? Number one, it reveals God's heart to listen and to answer our prayers. That God would answer our prayers at all shows great compassion on God. Because none of us deserve to have our prayers answered. Yet Scripture says, 1 Peter, cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because He cares for you. God's heart is seen. God's compassion is seen. God's mercy and grace is seen when the angel says, God's heard your prayer. God has listened. God has heard. Zechariah, by this time and this age of his life, must have thought that God would not answer his prayer. He'd probably even stopped asking God for a child. I'm past the biological age. What's, what's the point in giving God this request? He could have certainly given up all hope of having children. Yet we would do well to remember the words of the angel here. Your prayer has been answered. We would do well to remember that when we kneel down and pray right. You and I, we must not be guilty of hastily concluding that our prayers are not heard or not answered by God simply because they're not resolved in our time frame and in our manner. It is not for us to prescribe the time or the way that our requests are to be answered by God. So we must not hastily abandon our praying. Instead, we must be what? constant in prayer praying without ceasing 
We must be watchful in prayer. We must be like Epaphroditus at the end of Colossians, laboring in prayer. Why? Because of what we see from the angel. Our God answers prayer. We belong to a God who cares to hear our requests, who cares to hear the desires of our hearts, and who, out of His own mere pleasure, gives us an answer. I challenge you this morning, join the church in the prayer time set aside. Every Wednesday night, men and women come together to study Scripture and to pray for our church, for the people in our community, for the lost around the world. Every Wednesday night. Every Tuesday night. Men, come together. Sit in this room at 5.30. Pray for our church. Pray for the community. Pray for the lost of the world. Every Sunday morning, 8.30 or 9 o'clock, you have the opportunity to show up here and pray with other people. Pray for the day. Pray for the service. Pray that God would be glorified. There are ample times of prayer at this church. The last Sunday night of every month, we can devote to prayer as a church. Seeking God's face. Seeking God's presence. Because our God answers prayer. He hears prayer. So join us in our prayer time. We see something. We learn something of God here. That we can apply directly. I heard an old man once say, you can judge the popularity of your church by its attendance on Sunday morning. You can judge the popularity of your pastor by the attendance on Sunday night. And you can judge the popularity of Jesus by the attendance at the prayer meeting. Be a people who are in love with Jesus, praying because we know our God hears our prayers. So it reveals the fact that this angel says that God's heard their prayer reveals God's heart to listen to us and answer our prayers. And it also reveals that God answers prayer beyond what we can fathom. It's something you can learn about God and take to the bank today. God does nothing half-hearted. He does all things in the highest quality with the abundance of goodness. And Zechariah would have never imagined that asking for a son he would get to be the father of the last Old Testament prophet. The greatest man to live. The greatest prophet to prepare the way of the Lord. Yet it is in God's abundant goodness, God's gracious love, that He blesses this couple with such a child. God doesn't give all of us the forerunner to the Messiah, does He? But, God does continue to make known to us in prayer, and in Bible study, the depths and the riches of His goodness in every prayer that He answers. Every time our God hears our requests and provides for us an answer, do we not see that He is better? He is more gracious, more kind, more loving, more compassionate than we thought previously before? Most certainly we do. And you are facing things in your life. You are struggling with issues in your life. You have circumstances in your life that are not pleasing to you. They're difficult for you. You have things that you don't have the answer to. And you can take comfort in the fact that our God answers prayer. He hears our prayers and answers our prayers. I guarantee you that Zechariah, lying on his deathbed, would have no doubt of the goodness of God. No one could persuade him 
otherwise. And the same will be true for us if we commit to seek God in prayer and in Bible study. So God blesses His servants by answering prayer. God also blesses His servants by attention to detail. Specifically for Zechariah and Elizabeth here, He blesses them with the name of this child, the name John, which is a constant reminder to them. What's intriguing about God giving Zechariah the name first is that it shows God's extreme attention to detail. We know Psalm 139, don't we? Where God says, I intricately wove you in your mother's womb. I knew all your days when none of them had had come yet. I have them all written down. I saw your unformed substance when, when as yet there was nothing of you. God has attention to detail in every one of our lives. Your name was no surprise to God. Your life has been no surprise to God. Your desires are no surprise to God. No secret to God. God has a plan for each one of us. And God brings that plan to fruition in every single detail. But more intriguing and more significant is the name of John and the meaning of that name. It means Jehovah is gracious. It means Jehovah has shown grace. It's a fitting name for the occasion, isn't it? Hasn't God extended grace to Zechariah and Elizabeth? Let me tell you, it's not by their piety, it's not by their good merit that they've earned this child. It's by God's pure grace that He would give them a child. But even for Israel, isn't this name significant for Israel? Because God is now going to pour out His grace through His Son, Jesus. This baby John... Not only is He grace for you, Zechariah, He's grace for the nation of Israel because He is the turning point where now I pour My grace out on all who come to Me. The name John's a constant reminder of God's grace. A constant blessing for Zechariah and Elizabeth and for you and I when we read Luke 1. Because here, we are reminded God's pouring out His grace. Moving real quickly here. God blesses His servants with joy and gladness. It's a final thing we see as a result of this son for this couple. The angel says, you're going to have joy and gladness. And the joy and the gladness that will come from this child will be because he's God's child. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's a servant of God. Because you parents know, you grandparents know, no child brings more joy than those children who are under the grace of God. I want you to notice what we know about John the Baptist and his life. He's not a rich man, is he? He's a man who lives in the wilderness, dressed in skins of different animals, eating honey, eating locusts. He's not rich. He's not famous. He's not beautiful. He's not wealthy or royal in any sort of way. Yet, he brings his parents joy and gladness. And that's purely because he's an instrument in the hand of God. And that should be the desire for our children. That should be the principal portion of what we lead our kids to. That they would be under the grace of God, have faith in God, and be used by God. That they would be servants of God, right? That's why John will bring joy and happiness. That's what will bring joy and happiness to parents today. No child will bring more peace 
than the child who has their name found written in the book of life. We pray to that end. We disciple to that end. We work to that end. But finally, something that's not seen in this passage of how God blesses His servants, but something that's implied in this passage is that the ultimate blessing of God is salvation in Christ. There is no greater blessing than that. That John is going to prepare Jesus and Jesus is coming for a mission and that mission is to wipe away the sin of all who come to Him in faith. For us as Christians who have redeemed hearts, we're born again, we have faith in Christ, you don't have to convince us that God blesses His servants, do you? We look at the cross and we celebrate the blessing of God. We look at Jesus and all that He's accomplished for our eternity with Him and we understand the blessing of God. We remember that Jesus died on my cross, died my death, buried in my grave, rose on my behalf when I was yet still a sinner. And we understand the blessing of God. You may be an unbeliever this morning and you may understand some inkling of the blessings of God. You may have common grace in God or common blessings of God. You have oxygen to breathe, food to eat, clothes to wear, jobs to work. God's providing you like, for you like He does the rest of creation. But you don't understand the deep blessing, the true full blessing of God until you come to Christ in faith. Because it's there that you realize, I bring nothing to the table. Yet Christ has given me His righteousness and has taken my sin that I can be with Him, there is no greater blessing. God blesses His servants then. God blesses His servants now with the salvation that's found in Jesus. Reality is, some of you have no place of service because you don't know Christ. You're not a Christian. You don't know the spiritual gift that you possess. You don't know what it means to be enabled by the Holy Spirit. You don't know how God uses your circumstances in life. You don't learn from the situations in life how to serve God, how to grow in faith, because in reality, you have no faith. You're not a born-again believer. The reality is, you don't know the blessing of God. You don't know what it means for God to answer prayer. You don't know what it means for God to show you that He is in control of every detail in your life. You don't know what it means for God to supply you with joy and gladness because you don't know God through faith in Christ. But understand the true and ultimate blessing of God. You can know God through faith in Christ. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 6? Behold, today is the day of salvation. Anybody at any time, can repent of sin, turn their hearts to Christ, surrender to Him in faith, and what? Be saved. What about you? Where's your place of service? Because your service to God is the evidence of the fruit of salvation. What blessings has God shown you in your life throughout this last week because the evidence of God's blessings, seeing God's blessings in your life is evidence of salvation in Christ. 
If you can't answer those questions, today you can come to Him in faith. And I pray and I hope that you will. Maybe you are a Christian here this morning and you need to repent. You need to take time and you need to slow down your busy life, your hectic schedule, and all your other priorities and you need to rearrange some things in your life and ask God, where do you want me to serve you through your church? And you need to stop and you need to thank God and repent before God for not praising Him for the blessings in your life. That's okay too. So we want people who are committed to Christ, disciples of Jesus, serving Him through the church, praising Him for the great blessings in their life. And we want those of you that don't know those blessings, that don't have a place of service, to come to Christ in faith and be saved. That you may know what it's like to be blessed by God.